Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. I wonder how many of you are a little bit like me. Do you enjoy thinking about the faults of other people? Um, I know that's really bad for me to say, but there are times when I feel bad about my life, and I like to think about how awful everybody else is. Just going to admit it, all right? And don't even try to tell me that you're not like that. I know there's probably times where you go home, and you're like, man, that Kellen, he said um so many times today while he was preaching. I mean, I watched the loop video, I'm like, how many times do I say that? Now that I said it, you're probably going to be like, oh, he says it a lot. Uh, um, but going forward, don't be too judgmental on me, okay? Now, we do like to think about other people's faults, I think. Uh, and I think the reason for that is we, secret to, we secretly love to think about other people's faults so that we don't have to place a mirror on ourselves, there's something really uncomfortable about that mirror that we, that we look in and we see all of those worst things about us. I know when I, was, when I was growing up and I was in sports, there's something about locker room lights that they would make you look awful in the mirror in the locker room. Like every way that you could possibly look bad, you looked bad in a locker room. Um, I think if we went to a beach and there were mirrors all over the beach, nobody would go to the beach right? We don't, we don't like to actually have to see ourselves for what we are in all the ways that we don't like. But I think about that, and, and yes, physical appearance, there's things that, that we, we look at and we're like, oh I, we, oh, I just don't even want to think about it. But I know for me, it's my character flaws that I don't want to have a mirror shown about me with. I, I don't want to see what my character flaws are, because that one, it, it just really stings for some reason. So why is this? I think we, we don't want to look at our own stuff. We want to look at other people's issues because there's something that we see inside of ourselves and it hurts the most to see ourselves that way. We don't like, we don't like knowing that, that there's faults. Um, it's uncomfortable for us to see ourselves. We don't, we don't want to realize that, man, there's sin, there's, there's baggage, there's ugliness in me, and I have to admit to that. If somebody came up and asked you right now, what is the worst thing about you? Would you like to answer that question? I know I wouldn't. I'd probably be like, I don't know what the worst thing about me is. I'll tell you what the worst thing about you is. Like that. You asking that question. I don't like it. We don't want to think about that stuff. And that's why it's really, really easy for us to focus on other people. It's way easier to think about the issues in other people's lives because it's not as personal to me. In the last few weeks, we've been going through this, this sermon series called Back to Life, The Garden, Back to Life. And we've been looking at stories of what happened in garden situations in the Bible. And it started off with the story of Adam and Eve, where they're in the Garden of Eden and they sinned. They ate the, from this one tree, the fruit from the one tree that they weren't supposed to eat from. And from there, all kinds of stuff happened that wasn't supposed to happen. Death took place. And what we see through these garden stories is the same thing that we, we see throughout Scripture. The world is messed up, and we are messed up. That is one common theme throughout all of Scripture. And unfortunately, I think we know all too well just how messed up we can be. 
we cower from deeper relationships with people because I, I don't want them to see me for all that I am. We keep from stepping up as leaders because we look at the people around us and we're like, I can't lead these people. They obviously have themselves more put together than I have myself put together. It's because I can see all the stuff that people put on social media and I don't see all the stuff that's inside them. But I know, I see what's inside me all the time. And so we feel like we can't step up. But here's the exciting thing I think about the story of Easter. Easter shows us that the worst thing about you does not scare Jesus away. Easter shows us that the worst thing about you never has to be the final word. That, to me, is the excitement about what Easter is all about. And so today what I want to do is I want to take you through a story. I want to take you through a story that really, it, it began, as we've been talking about these past few weeks, it began in a garden a long time ago called the Garden of Eden. And it's a story that was completed in the most victorious kind of fashion that you could ever imagine in another garden on Easter morning. And so, I think this is about the most exciting story that I could possibly tell you. And it actually starts, I want to look, I don't want to go quite to the garden quite yet. I want to go to a verse in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It says this, For the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. That sounds like kind of not a very encouraging message, right? Look at that and it's like, well, that, that stinks for me. Like, I'm, I'm pretty much a sinner. I mess up. So my, the wages of that is death. Awesome. I hope that there's a more encouraging story than that, Kellen, because this is not looking good right now. And I think that you're going to see at the end of this, there's, a, there's an encouraging story here. Adam and Eve, they sinned by eating from this tree that they weren't supposed to eat from. Death enters into the world. And what happened was they chose the wages of sin rather than the wages of obedience. You see, sin is actually really cheap for us. It's really easy for us. There is a nature inside of us that kind of the first nature thing for us to do is, is to sin. That's, that, that one comes really easy to us, you guys, because we, we look out for ourselves. And so the wages of that, though, the Bible says is, is death. So Adam and Eve, they did what was easier. They did what was, what was actually really harmful, though. The wages of what they did, it was harmful to them. And then it wasn't just that they sinned by eating from this tree that they weren't supposed to. Then their own son, he took it even a step further. We talked about this, I think, last week. Cain kills his own brother Abel. And so now the wages of this sin has actually become actual death in their family. And the rest of the Old Testament in the Bible, it is really, it is all about the fallouts of this sin that we see taking, on, taking place in this Garden of Eden. The world, from that point forward, it became darker and darker and darker. And everything I'm saying right now, it's like, man, this, I don't know if I'm going to leave very encouraged. This sounds kind of harsh, but it gets better. Now, here's the thing. It didn't get better for a really long time. God actually got to the point where he couldn't stand what was going on with the people in the world. And so there was a point where he actually said, you know what, I'm going I'm to take out the world. And causes a flood in, to come into this world. He saved one family, hoping that this restart would start everything better and people would live better. But you know what? It didn't happen for very long. It, it didn't stay good for very long. People's tendency is to go back to sin. 
And a lot of people, what happens is a lot of people look at the, this Old Testament story that we see throughout the scripture, and they say, man, God is, God is a mean God. God is a God who is, he has no grace, he has no compassion. Sometimes he's letting people be taken out, and sometimes he might even be doing the taken out himself. How in the world can this be a good story? And the point of the Old Testament is this. I think people, if they think that God is this mean God, they, they miss it. The point is, something was broken, and no matter what God or anyone else did, humanity was going to stay broken. There is a brokenness to humanity. And the whole story of the Old Testament, really what it's doing is it is trying to lead us up to the point where we understand that God was going to have to do something crazy, something huge, in order to change the trajectory of where we were going as a human race. It didn't matter how many times God tried to, to fix everything, we kept going back to all this awfulness. And the only answer, there was only one answer left, God had to bring death to death itself. He had to bring death to death itself. This sounds like an impossibility, right? How can death die? I actually, I did something really stupid. I tried to go on to Google this, this week and ask it a philosophical, theological question. And so I, I typed into Google, I'm like, can death die? The answers I got were interesting. Um, it's probably not the best place to get your theological answers from. One of, the th one of the guys wrote on there, he said, no, death cannot die. Death is not a thing. It's the absence of a thing. It's the absence of life. Death is not existing. We just gave not existing its own name to make it easier to describe. I don't know how much I agree with that. Another guy wrote this, death will die when there is no life. I think that's somewhat accurate, but I think that there's another option. I think death will die when there's life. Life is the thing that brings death to death. I love what Michael, Mike Williams writes about this. He says, in the resurrection, life puts death to death. That's what we see in the story of Easter. So what happens is we've got this world that's going into this awful place of sin, and it keeps getting worse and worse all the time. And in steps Jesus reversing death and changing everything in the process. So I want to give you the, the rest of, verse, uh, of the, the verse of Romans 6.23 right now. The rest of the verse is this. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That verse went from, ugh, not encouraging, to like, huh, that's pretty cool. Really quickly. Jesus stepped into the world for, for two things, I think. The two things are this, to take on spiritual death in our place and to give a final defeat to death's hold on us. We all had sin that had to get taken care of. And it's ugly. And the only way it could be taken care of was if someone was going to come into the world and take care of it for us. And so Jesus, dying on the cross, brought a spiritual death. But that was not the end of the story. Dying was not going to be the end of the story for Jesus. And because it wasn't, our sin doesn't have to be the end of the story for us. There is something beyond just forgiveness that I think Jesus brings to us. And so what happens is he enters into the world as a baby. He's born of this virgin girl. He is both God and man. And every time I say this as I'm preaching, I'm like, hey, I'm a pastor, but that's a difficult concept for me too. If you really sit there and think about it for a long time, that God came into the world, it's weird. 
it's hard to fathom. It's hard to sit and grasp that. But I'll tell you this. What Jesus did in his life is proof to me that it's actually true. What he did was unlike anything any real, normal, just 100% human could do. So Jesus grows up and he remains perfect. He never messes up. He never sins. And if you take out the perfection of Jesus, there's no reason for Jesus to die on a cross for us. Sometimes people want to say, well, well, Jesus, he wasn't really perfect, was he? He was perfect. He lived a perfect life. Even going out into the wilderness for 40 days and he wasn't eating any food. He was, he was starving and Satan was tempting him for 40 days and he didn't give in to that temptation. He did it for you and me. And so we fast forward a bit and we come to the end of his life. And he's about to be betrayed by his friend, a guy named Judas. He knows his end is coming near. And what happens is, Jesus goes off to his favorite garden. It's funny how the story just kind of comes full circle. It starts in a garden and ends in a garden. Jesus goes to his favorite garden and the, the emotional torment that's going on in him, it's deep. Deep enough to the point that as he's praying, he's sweating out droplets of blood. There's a stress on him. And it's not because he's about to die. It's about what he's about to endure on the spiritual level for you and me. And as he's praying in that garden, you think back to the Garden of Eden, that first garden. Adam and Eve, they didn't follow God's will. But Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he's praying before he's about to be crucified, he is praying, Lord, not my will but yours be done. He takes a completely different approach in his garden than when Adam and Eve did. And so this death that he's going to take on, it would it'd be a death where every sin of the world was going to be placed on him as he died. Why did that have to happen? For Jesus to bring death to death, he first had to actually experience death himself. Both a physical and a spiritual death. Like I said, unless there was somebody willing to die who was perfect, death wasn't going to matter. To be our sacrifice, it wouldn't have mattered if Jesus wasn't perfect, but he was perfect on our behalf. And so what happened is Jesus died on that Good Friday. It is the single greatest tragedy, I think, that is known to man. But while it's the single greatest tragedy known to man, it is also the single greatest thing, the single greatest act of grace that has ever been known to man that Jesus would willingly give himself up and die. But here's the thing. Death wasn't the end of the story. Just like the worst thing about you is not the end of your story, the death of Jesus wasn't the end of his story. Now here's the thing. Most stories, death is kind of the final thing. People don't come back from the dead very much. When there's a death in a story, it is, it is a finality to a story almost every time. You look in Scripture... And death oftentimes is the end of a story. Genesis ends with Joseph's death, the book of Genesis. The book of Deuteronomy ends with Moses' death. Joshua ends with Joshua's death. But the Gospels end with Jesus' resurrection. That's what changes everything. The story of the Gospels is completely different than what you've even seen throughout the, the whole Old Testament leading up to it. And Jesus' death was just the beginning of a greater victory that had been planned and had been set in motion a whole long time ago. We look at John 19, and this is what it says. 
verses 41 and 42. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had been laid because it was the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So Jesus has died. And did you hear, did you hear where they put him? It comes back to the garden again. I love kind of this poetic nature to the life and death of Jesus. That everything started in a garden and he's going to bring everything to a completely different change in a garden again. The story of sin started in a garden and Jesus was about to bring that story to a miraculous close. Luke 24 says this, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. I'm telling you, there are probably no greater words that have been spoken than those words right there. There is something about that, that phrase. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? And I think about it in my own life, and I think that, I think that Jesus is trying to say that to me sometimes. Kellen, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you trying to find life where there is only death? Why are you trying to find, to, to, to manufacture yourself to be the better person that you want to be just by looking inwardly? Because that's death. You've got you to find life by looking somewhere else. If you're looking for life apart from Jesus, you're only going to find death. That's a hard concept for us to hear because we look around our world and we're like, man, people are going after all kinds of stuff that aren't Jesus and their lives look pretty awesome. They're having all kinds of fun. I've gotten to the point in my life, I don't know if it's just being a little older now, but I think everything that is awesomeness apart from Jesus, it's all kind of just a facade. The stuff that, that we look at and, we, and that we think gives us life, I wonder if we're being fooled and it's actually death. If a marriage is the thing that people think is going to bring them life, then they are going to be sorely mistaken when they come to discover that the person that they married is super annoying. Because they are. We're all annoying. My wife is the exception. She ain't annoying. Except for when she's right, which is always. Marriage as the source of life and happiness, it always falls short. If political power is the thing that, that makes people think that, that they're going to experience life, then they're going to be super disappointed when that power forces them to do vile things in order to keep that power. Political power as a source of life leads to a life of corruption. If fame and money is the thing that, that makes people think they're going to find life, then the problem with it, fame and money, it's like a drug. You can never get enough. And as you get more, you need more to get that high back again. And so if, if fame and money is the source of life, then what we're going to experience is a life of vanity, a life of disappointment. In all these areas of life, these places where we look for worth and we look for value, I feel like Jesus is trying to say to us the same thing that the angel told these women who came to the, to the tomb that day. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? 
Why are you looking for things to give you life that don't have the power to actually ever give you life? I look for, I look for things to give me life that just simply don't have the power to give me life. For 42 years, I've had a hole in my heart just waiting for that stupid football team, the Vikings, to win the Super Bowl. I'm done. But you know what? There's going to be a day when I'm like 98 and they're going to win it. And when they win it, I'm going to realize the next day after a whole night of being, my life is awesome and it's, it's complete. I'm going to wake up the next day and be like, that was it? Am I wrong? Your team won the Super Bowl. You know what I'm talking about. Next day, hey. We look for life in things that are actually death. We think that things are going to give us life and they come to fruition and then all of a sudden, oh, that, that didn't give me life. The life that Jesus has to offer, it doesn't leave you empty the way that the world leaves us empty. Sometimes we can actually sense that all that life has to offer us is a dead end. And so we decide... I'm just going to work on me. Everything that life has to offer, it's, it's dead. I'm going to work on me. I'm going to make me better. I'm going, to, I'm going to do better. And what happens is, man, we are so faulted and messed up on our own that if all I'm trying to do is look inwardly to make me better, it's going to lead to a dead end. I am sorry to break the news to you. Every time I try to make myself better on my own, I wake up the next morning and I'm like, oh, I messed up already. And I was awake for a minute. It's the way it is. Trying to make yourself better in everything you do by yourself, it is like living, looking for the living among the dead. You simply can't find life apart from Jesus. You might find it for a little while. You might find life that you think is life, but then you find out later on it actually wasn't life. So what I want you to do this morning is I want you to take the worst thing about you. Maybe get it in your, in your brain. And now you're uncomfortable. All right? But take the worst thing about you. What is that thing? Is it your anger that you, you can't seem to contain no matter how hard you try? Is it the, the words that you say to people that, that hurt them partly because there's something inside of you that just isn't comfortable and that's, that's your way out? Do you wake up thinking, I am not going to go to that place today? And then by the end of breakfast, you've already gone to that place. Sometimes it all feels like death feels like a cycle of death that we're just spinning wheels we're not getting any better I want you to take the worst thing about you and I want you to realize this this morning Jesus forgives that worst thing about you that's what the cross was about there is a victory in the cross but that victory alone it doesn't really amount to much without a better hope for something to become better. If Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, where is the power over sin? There's a forgiveness for sin. Jesus took care of that on the cross. He took care of it on the cross. There's a forgiveness for sin. You are forgiven. But where is the power for your sin? Where is the power for you to become more what God wants you to be if there's not the resurrection? 1 Corinthians 15, 54 says this, death is swallowed up in victory. Thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ our Lord. The worst thing about you is not only forgiven through the, the cross of Jesus and what he did on that cross, 
But there is victory for that worst part about you. There is victory in the resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus rose from the dead, he introduced a power into this world that is meant for us. He left us the Holy Spirit to empower us. And we walk around like we are looking for the living among the dead. We're living in death. We feel defeated all the time. Because I think sometimes we get stuck on the cross. We're thankful for forgiveness. And we forget that three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. That he gives me power to live the life that he's called me to live. It's not just about forgiveness. The worst thing about you has been swallowed up in the victory of Jesus. I love that I can think about who I am and, and I can see all the ugliness. And then I can turn it over to Jesus and I can, I can expect that he is going to make something more beautiful out of me. It's not to say that we're perfect people now, but Jesus gives you permission to take on his perfection on yourself. It's a free gift for you. And he has the power then to mold you into becoming what he wants you to be. If you're a typical person this morning, you've been trying to figure out how to make yourself better. And it's like a roller coaster. And a lot of, probably the roller coaster goes down more often than it goes up if you're just trying to make yourself better. But I want you to hear this. Jesus' power to change you is not limited as your power to change yourself is. There is power in the resurrection of Jesus. Easter displays the beautiful power of Jesus who redeemed the mess that was first made in the first garden. The first garden brought us death. The resurrection garden brought us life from death. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will not die. Today, I want you to experience the life that we can have in Jesus. The life that the resurrection of Jesus actually affords to us. You came in here feeling like you were dead. There is something better than that death. Jesus can bring life to your marriage that you've been trying to resurrect yourself. I'm telling you, he you don't have the power to resurrect your marriage, but Jesus does. Will you believe in him and let him breathe life into your marriage? Jesus can bring life to a relationship with your child, even though it feels like it's cold and it's dead. You don't have the power to will that relationship into existence, but Jesus has the power to bring life out of nothing. He has the power to bring life out of what is death. Are you going to believe him? Are you going to trust him that he can actually do that in your relationships? Maybe it's your spiritual life that feels dead on arrival. You walked in here this morning and it was DOA. My question for you this morning is, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? I know it's a, I know it's a wild thought. I know it's kind of a hard thought. But if you believe that, do you really think that he is unable to bring your spirit back from the dead? Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.